Welcome to the Green Gold Rugby Podcast Network, and this is the Crash Ball. Thank you to the Crash Ball in-house band and welcome to the podcast tonight. We've been out for a couple of weeks, but we're back. The Tars are back, rugby's back, and Australian rugby has never been better. Welcome to the podcast. We've got a bumper show in store for you tonight. We're talking super rugby. We're talking the future of the game. We're talking the future of the competition. And then, of course, we're talking the Tars. We're talking the Reds. And we're talking the Wallabies. It is going to be great. So strap yourself in. And joining me, as always, my co-host, 2GB presenter, former Wallabies coach. You know him. Mr. Alan Jones. Alan. Hello. How are you this week? Salty. <laughs> now, I don't mean to be throwing shade, mate, but I've been reading a few of your columns lately, and I have to say I am unimpressed. Like throwing shade? What's that mean? Well, <laughs> it means I think they're, they're pretty poorly researched, they're poorly written. I mean, really, just a series of half-baked opinions masquerading as expert analysis. Shut up, will you? Whatever, mate. Look, maybe just take some time. Mosey on down to greengoldrugby.com and see how the experts do it, mate. You're more than a little bit up yourself. Touche. Either way, let's get stuck in. I published a column on greengoldrugby.com this week talking about the future of Super Rugby, and it's been the subject of, of plenty of debate on our site and elsewhere and on our podcast. In fact, talking to Matt about it a few weeks ago, it's fair to say that it's a decision that even though it's a couple of years away is something that everyone wants to talk about and we saw Paul Cully wrote a great piece in the Sydney Morning Herald over the weekend uh, we saw Jamie Miller obviously write that fantastic article about failing upwards um, on Green and Gold Rugby uh, last week and actually we recorded a fantastic podcast about it that is lost and never to be heard because of recording failures but nonetheless my article basically came about after I had a bit of an email back and forth, sorry, a Twitter back and forth with some people on Saturday night talking around club rugby and super rugby and what the future of the game is. And um, basically, uh, someone asked me, well, what, you know, what do you think? What's your idea? And, and it caused me to sort of try and flesh something out a bit in, in a bit more detail. It's something that I've been thinking around the last couple of weeks. And the future of super rugby is increasingly... Um, going to be something that we talk about and we think about. So putting some thoughts on a paper might be a good idea. And um, I suppose my article is in two parts. First is why a local competition won't work. And secondly, you know, what I would intend to put in its place. Paul Cully wrote that, um, you know, Super Rugby should be entirely local. Essentially, we should move away from Sansa and Rugby Australia should go it alone with a, with an internal competition, whether that's uh, an NRC or, or some sort of Super Rugby um, internal uh, competition with the Waratahs and Reds. We're not really sure. Uh, and that was sort of backed up by a few people that were at the Warringah v Manly game on Saturday, which is sort of the... the uh, it's probably become the pinnacle in club rugby crowds and club rugby involvement in Sydney with roughly seven or 8,000 people there to watch a great shoot shield game. And, and I think that's prompted people to think, well, hang on, if we can get this, this grassroots, this local rivalry... Um, and the link from the juniors right up to the seniors, that, that it's something that we should look to see if we can uh, build a competition around uh, in, in, in uh, a bit bigger and better structure than what we do now. And, it, and it's a fair point, but unfortunately, you know, any local competition, whether it's an NRC or some sort of club championship or, or a super light, unfortunately, I, I just can't see it getting the money in terms of TV revenue, um, in terms of sponsorship revenue, and, and a whole lot of other things that, that Super Rugby 
does get for all of its failings. It, it you know, we won't be able to sell whatever local competition we create to anywhere outside of Australia. And, and what that does is it, it kneecaps us in terms of the money that we have coming in. And, and you know, that basically trickles down to players. And I imagine a local competition, whilst it's, you know, certainly a, a prospect and it can be a viable prospect, what it'll see is all of our top players basically move offshore. We're, we're really surrendering the battle against Northern Hemisphere wages um, and we will see most of the Wallabies go overseas. And what the competition will become is is sort of an A-League. Like, um, you know, it'll be something for the diehard fans to, to celebrate. And there'll be certainly some good storylines and some good sport on display. But fundamentally, the, the real business happens in Europe. And, you know, the Socceroos or the Wallabies, um, either one is essentially a team of, of, of foreign players that come back every winter, every so often to play games. Um, and look, that's... Uh, not completely unappealing and it has certain merits and a local competition for example would have local winners and and every year you'd have a fan base that holds a trophy aloft and and uh, that's something that is you know we can't turn our heads at because what the AFL and the NRL have is as I said in the article on grand final day they know that there's going to be a team holding a trophy there's going to be a fan base celebrating and that is something that's very very powerful whereas in Australian rugby we go years without lifting a trophy and everyone you know, walks around in a sort of dejected stupor as we have been for the past 10 years almost, apart from a few super rugby triumphs. So, you know, that, that's something that we could consider. But fundamentally, I just don't think that, that losing all of our good players is something that we really should be entertaining. And, and as much as the local competition could work in theory, I think in practice, once you lost these players, um, you know, I'm not sure how many people you're getting in the gate. And I'm not sure how much interest you're garnering, and I'm not sure if this is not just surrendering to the other codes or um, basically making our product all about the Wallabies and further investing in the top. So look, it's it's certainly a debate that's got a lot of legs, a lot of time left to run, and, and I'm open to considering my view on this. But essentially what I proposed in the article was actually a, a sort of a super rugby minus South Africa, um, an Asia-Pacific sort of competition with New Zealand and Japan, um, a, a Pacific Island team in Australia and potentially Argentina as well. I think South Africa, what they add in terms of time zones in Europe and some more TV revenue, I think they take away in terms of making the competition bigger and harder to understand. Their teams don't have a following here. We don't watch their games over there. Really, I, I, I think there's a sacrifice that needs to be made to make the competition sleeker and easier to access. And taking away the South Africa teams may well be that. And look, is it possible? Maybe not. Um, there's words that they might move into a European competition, but fundamentally, uh, if they choose not to do that, we're going to be stuck with them because New Zealand aren't going to go it alone with us. That's been made clear time and time again. They want to play the South African teams and South African teams want to play the New Zealand teams. So we might end up uh, sort of the odd man out and that makes the domestic competition more viable. Um, that is basically the, the article in a nutshell. I encourage you, if you haven't heard it, to get online. Um, there's been a few interesting uh, comments raised about it actually um, from a few people and the, the one that interests me is something we can do in the interim is why don't, why do we have to have a system where um, players are tied to their home nation why can't Israel Folau play for the Blues why can't Sonny Bill play for the Waratahs why can't um, you know Elton Yanchi's suit up for the Brumbies if the money's there um, why don't we move uh, that those caps on eligibility uh, loosen the strings and allow talent to flow across border, which adds an extra layer of interest, but it also um, allows you know some some teams to become far more interesting and talented, given the amount of talent that's coming out of New Zealand at the moment. 
um, you know, we can piggyback off some of that and give our team success. And I think as much as we like there being local players in the jerseys, the, the foreign marquee players have come in and been very successful. So look, what it does, it makes it harder for a guy like Michael Checker to set fitness targets and uh, strength and conditioning targets for our teams. It makes it harder to control and obviously goes against the centralization arguments that are floating around. But still, it's something that's worth looking at. Either way, I've, I've taken up too much time on this one, Alan. Um, have you got anything to add? Have you ever, ever heard such rubbish? Well, thank you very much, mate. You've been absolutely no help to me at all and it's better than any of the things that you've put forward in your article. Shut up, will you? <laughs> it's going to be one of those nights, folks. Let's move on. How about those New South Wales Waratahs people? Breaking the drought against the Kiwis, flogging the Highlanders, and I am excited. I'm out of my chair, uh, even though you can't see at home or in the car where you're listening to this now. But I am standing up, standing to attention, to salute the fantastic work of the stars of Australian rugby, the New South Wales Waratahs. Reg isn't here to stop me now. I'm going to go for broke about that performance because it was fantastic. The line-out, the scrum, the set-piece... The tries, it was raining tries, and I didn't even care if there were 13 or 14 or 12 or however many people playing for the Highlanders. It didn't matter. On a night like that, they could have fielded 16, they could have fielded 25, and the Tars would have won, and they would have won with style. It was a sensational thing to see. Bernard Foley in full flight. A lightweight forward pack that was punching well above their weight, which I think is roughly 60 kilos per person. Uh... A front row performance led by Sakopi Kepu and a backline that was silky as anything. Kurtley Beale, Israel Falau, uh, Cam Clark's copping boots to the mouth, but he's still chasing down kicks. I mean, he is an absolute hero, and I don't say that lightly. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, it was a great performance by the Waratahs and sets them up quite nicely for the Australian Conference Um with the Melbourne Rebels still hanging around, still on their tail. And it was a win that they really needed. Uh, it was a win that Australian rugby needed as well, but it was a win that they needed to get their confidence back because if they can keep that form up, they've shot it in glimpses, they've shot it against the Rebels, they've shot it against the Stormers, in patches that they can be, you know, not as not the best team in the, in the comp, but certainly a very good team. And to put it together like that against a, a team with the pedigree of the Highlanders, um, yeah, even with a few advantages, um, it, it was great to see. And some of those Wallabies starting to hit form is something that, that's nice to see as well. Um, to Kelly Nyara Voro, though, I mean, he scores some tries, and he's, you know, you could argue he's the form winger in the comp, but I just, I, I still wince every time he gets the ball. You know, he's, he, he, Jamie Miller's right. I mean, he still can't, fundamentally can't really play rugby. Um, and I think he might, you know, find his way into a Wallaby jersey uh, in the winter, even though, he, you know, he is going offshore at the end of the year, so that might come back to haunt him. But he, the way he holds the ball in one hand, he flings those passes. He, he can't really catch. He doesn't chase kicks. It's a bit of a... Um, it's a wonder that he's gotten this far and he keeps scoring tries, but certainly is good to watch. And Curtis Rona, um, been humming along quite nicely in the 13 jersey and may well challenge Tavita Kurandrani when the time comes. Um, but I think the thing that was impressive around the Tars was when, when you're playing 14 like they, they did, there's a temptation, and they fell into it early, to try and score tries on every play. Um, it And... and, and you know, it took them a while to get through that, but then they got into their patterns. They they had that build up, and they chose to go wide at the right time and exploit that man advantage, which led to some some pretty easy tries in the end. So, look, it was a pretty decent performance, Alan, wasn't it? Brilliant. Well, 
good to see you uh, employing a bit of optimism. Who was your standout pick? Dean Mum. Oh, we're gonna Dean Mum, M-U-M-M. Oh, okay, great. We're going to do this again. It wasn't even funny the first week. Let's move on. A brief note on the Queensland Reds playing on Friday night against the Hurricanes, and the Hurricanes are a good side playing in Wellington. It's a tough assignment, but the Reds went in there after losing to the Sunwolves, and I think most of us were probably predicting them to get blown off the park, and they turned up. They played bloody well, and they almost pinched the game from the Hurricanes in the end, going down by just four points, scoring some absolutely fantastic tries. Kappa to Dalgunu. Um, and uh, Tongan Thor chipping in one as well. Jono Lance led the team around pretty well, and it was just a, a pretty good defensive effort uh, with, with Kane Douglas stepping up, uh, Payinga Ramosas hitting form at the right time. It's it's a pretty good thing to watch the Queensland Reds, and, and I've got to say, if you were one of their fans, I think you'd be quietly confident about the next couple of years and the way that you're shaping up. Brad Thorne's just got a nice intent, a nice backbone in that side. And yeah, look, they're dropping games they shouldn't. That Sunwolves performance was pretty dire. But to come out like that against the Hurricanes and and genuinely compete, not get blown out in the second half like we've seen Australian teams do this year, um, is is something that's truly impressive. And I just wonder if Michael Check is watching. It wouldn't surprise me at all when the squad is announced in roughly a week's time to see a number of those Queensland Reds fill Bolter jerseys in the Wallabies. Um, it is something that's great to see. And, and I just don't think the Reds are getting enough love from, from people in, in the rugby world. Don't you agree, Alan? Absolutely. No doubt about that. That is absolute. They don't want to know about it, but that's correct. They don't want to know about it. I couldn't agree more. Let's go. It's only a few weeks until the Wallabies take the field against Ireland, and the countdown is on, people. Get excited. We've got the Wallaby squad being announced next week. We're going to have a few bolters, no doubt. We're going to get the the patties to come in and, no doubt, (laughs) give us an absolute hiding. But look, let's keep the spirit of optimism going for now. And it's one of the most fun times of the year because the possibilities are endless. There's some selection dilemmas and there's plenty to talk about. And looking at the forward pack in particular, I had a bit of a thought this week that is it possible that the position that the Wallabies have the most depth at the moment, the most depth of world-class options, is tight head prop. Can you believe it? We've got three genuine options there that all would be pretty decent in a Wallabies jersey. You've got Sukopi Kepu, Alan Alatoa, and Tong and Thor, Taniela Tupo. And yes, Tong and Thor is a little bit inexperienced, and yes, Alan has his ups and downs in the Wallabies jersey, but I'd put all three of those against most Wallaby tight head props from the past 40 or so years, and I reckon they'll come out pretty well. It's so weird considering where we were just a few years ago um, with such a problem with props that we've actually got an interesting situation now and a dilemma for a coach to actually have to leave one of these guys out. Um, I think Kepper will get the nod for what it's worth. He's got the runs on the board at international level and for a prop, um, I think that's something you've just got to err, err on the side of caution with. Um, but it, I would be putting good money on seeing Taniella get some more minutes off the bench after I believe he made his debut late last year. So that will be something to watch. And, and the dilemmas in the front row too at Hooker. I mean, you've got uh, a pretty inexperienced bunch of people, but all of whom have got some upside. I, I mean, I like what Payanga Ramos is doing. I like the work of Falao Fayanga. Obviously, Jordan Ulacy showed a lot last year. He's been battling some injuries. Uh, Anaru Rangi from the Rebels is a guy that I love his energy. And of course, Damien Fitzpatrick might be you know, another a great option as well at the Tars. It seems probably the most reliable in terms of his line-out throwing, but around the field, certainly 
uh, doesn't offer what the others do. So it, it'll be interesting to see where Michael Checker goes with that. Tolu Latu is another name as well who's had plenty of international experience. Um, it will be an interesting back row decision as well. We've got a pretty lean stock of back rowers outside of Hooper and Pocock. I think Caleb Timu might be in line for a Wallaby debut. It'd be interesting to see if Scott Higginbotham gets a lifeline. He started the season in the Wallaby jersey last year against Fiji and then fell out of favour after that and wasn't seen again. Um, so certainly not a Michael Checker favourite, but given the lack of options on show, he might be the guy that we have to tap. Um and you will have the usual merry-go-round of locks. I reckon I might even get a game at some point. He'll just completely rotate through as he always does. Um, and in the backs, you know, you think the back line's pretty set and it's probably where you can expect us to make some real gains against the Irish. Um, you know, there's probably some question marks over a wing spot, whether you throw um, uh, it to, to Kelly Nyaravoro, Dane Howlett-Petty is obviously a class player as well. And you've got some other guys circ- circling around as well. Um, as as we tend to do. And, and it might be interesting to see what happens with outside centre. Tabita Kurandrani's had a pretty slow start to the Super Rugby season. We've got Curtis Roney, you've got Samu Karevi as well, who is always waiting in the wings. So that is what I expect to see in, in, in a Wallaby side. Um, and I can't see there being a huge amount of left field players. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of those young Queensland forwards get a call up to a squad. Uh, you know, Angus Scott Young was mentioned this week, but also you know, Korchik, Rodder, um, these sort of guys. Kane Douglas might get a, get uh, back in the gold jersey, which would be great to see. Um, and you know, guys like Jermaine Ainsley from the Rebels as well might might be in line, given he's just signed a new Wallaby uh, ARU contract. So. It will be a fascinating little period because the Waratahs have got obviously the best side in the competition uh, from the Australian Conference, I'd argue. But in terms of their forward pack, you know, their their, their second row of Simmons and Staniforth, I don't think, you know, is good in the lineout. But is are we ready to put Rob Simmons in a Wallaby jersey? I'm not sure. He's been pretty good uh, in some weeks, but certainly has had quiet weeks in others. Uh, and that back row is pretty light as well. We're basically waiting till Jack Dempsey gets back in to form and fitness and that might not be for some time but it's close get excited the wallabies are coming back i cannot wait and alan let's just hope that there are crowds galore and i hope that the seats are being filled i agree with you entirely all we can keep saying all we can keep doing is representing the concerns of the people. Well, yeah, let's let's keep doing that. Are you going to do anything to help get the crowds through the gates? Well, I'm going to talk to Pauline Hanson later well, about this. Okay, well, good luck with that. And that is the podcast for another week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it's been another pretty good one. Leave some comments if you need to. Uh, get in touch on my email address, which I'm not giving out here. So, look, don't get in touch with my email address. Just write a comment on the article. It's not that hard. Uh, And I will see you all next week.